episode or edition of the Dad You Podcast. My name is Chris Sherrod, and we have, again, a special guest, uh, Mickey Friedrich here and Watermark Elder. And a lot of you, if you came last January, he shared with the dads a little bit about what it means to passionately love Jesus. We had him in here before already talking about what does it mean to be a dad who can balance family life and work and church and all those things. I particularly asked Mickey to come in today to talk really about what are some, I, I called it kind of parenting off the map. Like, what are some things that uh, for dads who just feel like, man, I've got some unique challenges that are not the norm. Um, I've got some kids that seem to be really struggling, whether it's with mental or emotional health stuff. And I just don't feel like I've been equipped or trained uh, in this. For my wife and I, we've had we, we've done foster care for almost 20 years. And so we've had some some kind of unique things um, that we've faced with that. But I think with dads, um, that's a unique challenge that we feel like I want to I know what I'm doing or supposed to be doing, but I just don't know what to do. And so I, I think hearing your story, um, Mickey, is going to be encouraging. So tell us a little bit more. Review just your family and your kiddos. And then I'd just love to hear your story with um, how this relates to your life. Well, thank you, Chris, and I'm honored to be uh, here again, and I look forward to this conversation, and yeah. so thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so Jessica and I have been married 17 years, and uh, we're from small town Oklahoma, so never ended up, you know, expected to be in a big city or be uh -huh. at a big church, but hey, it's great. Did you guys meet in in Oklahoma? In Clinton, yeah, in okay. Oklahoma. Okay, got it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, it's been a fun journey with her. We have four kids, two boys and two girls. 6, 10, 13, and 18. Okay. And uh, the girls are on the end, 6 and 18, and the boys are in the middle, 10 and 13. Okay. And uh, two, uh, we adopted our first two children uh, through adoption. Mm -hmm. They are a biological brother and sister. And uh, and she was five, and he was nine months whenever we adopted them. Okay. And then we have two kids the old-fashioned way. Okay. We, we've had various challenges on our journey, and in part from, you know, early childhood trauma for one of our children, but... Um, we also just have the natural challenges that, that come from any family yeah. going through, you know, different stages of life. Um, and I'll share a little bit about my story here in a minute. But, you know, we've walked also here at Watermark with so, it's, it's getting so common for families uh, to have challenging situations like kids with extreme sensitivity mm -hmm. or uh, limited impulse control or struggle with impulse control with defiance disorders, with ADHD and even gender confusion yep. and questions about their sexuality. And so there's so many situations that happen, especially now in this day and age, that I think we'd describe as parenting off the map. Mm -hmm. They just don't make instruction books yes. for when the wheels fly off on our journeys. And sometimes we can describe our kids as prodigal children, and that's mm -hmm. appropriate. I was a prodigal child mm -hmm. for six years. I lived in intense rebellion. Uh, but sometimes it's just the natural struggle, struggles that our kids have, and, and they are a victim. Sexual abuse is so much more prevalent yeah. than I ever imagined. I don't remember the stats, but they're, they're astounding how many young boys and young girls uh, are sexually abused. And, and then that bears fruit or other types of abuse. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so they, they are victims, but they don't have the tools and resources to process and make good decisions. And so that's our role as parents, to come alongside them and, and, and help them along the way. And this is a discussion that hits very close to home for me. So I was sexually abused by multiple people in my first eight years of life. Hmm. Um, it's not extreme, not like a lot of people's stories, but it mm -hmm. was uh, foundational and, and changed the course of my life yeah. in, in many ways. 
Um, and then I was adopted by, I've had four dads, uh, always had the same loving mother, but I was adopted by the dad that raised me at the age of eight, a man named Fred. And so just living in a blended family, uh, splitting time and just all, all of those things, I, you know, we had sometimes a passive aggressive home mm-hmm. and I learned really early just to stuff my emotions, but then do whatever the heck I wanted to do whenever I left the house, yeah. which led to my seasons of rebellion and, and a lot of volatility before that. But then whenever I was a freshman in high school, my dad died in my arms. Mm-hmm. And so then you add that trauma, unprocessed trauma that yeah. I stuffed and coped with, coped to deal with. And then I was a prodigal for six years in high school and college. And my, my story is Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to man, but then it leads to death. And the working of God in my life and, and many of our lives I know is Ephesians 2, where it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, I was saved. And so praise God. And so that, it gives me a lot of empathy and compassion. It doesn't give me the answers. Mm-hmm. But this topic is near and dear to my heart because of my family of origin and because what we've gotten to live through as a family. So I'm not going to provide any answers, but I do think sharing our stories helps others. One, to know that we're not alone. Yep. And two, it just opens doors of, of life and healing that we might not feel comfortable walking through, especially as we talk about the role, which we're not going to really talk about today, but the role of counseling, mm-hmm. the role of therapeutic treatment, the role of some of these things that in the church, sometimes we feel like we might be shamed for if we have to go down those paths. But in reality, they could be the very manna from God to help our child and help our family get through yep. uh, you know, past trauma or seasons of difficulty in our families. Yep. And I think Satan loves to condemn or... Of course, make you feel isolated, whether it's sin, like I'm, no one would understand I'm the only one who struggles with this, or um, no one would understand, you know, what I'm going through as a parent, mm-hmm. and then and that just keeps you on an island. It keeps you isolated in the dark, and you feel like you got to then pretend, or I think sometimes there's a, there's a misunderstanding of even suffering in this fallen world that we think, well, this is maybe punishment for when I was younger, like mm-hmm. I'm getting punished with... Now that I have these crazy kids, it's God getting me back for all, you know, whatever it is. And they're just lies. Yeah. And like you said, it's God's put you there to parent them for a reason. And so um, you've got to see it that way versus, you know, no one would understand or I'm all alone or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And, and the first step in our journey of parenting off the map, um, and it's the reason why I started with my story, is our first step is to process and face the reality of our past. And all that we bring into our marriage and mm-hmm. business, and there's a couple reasons that that's that's really important. One is because if if we're not processing um, things that we've done or experience that we feel accountable for, that is like a syringe that Satan jabs into the back into our backs, and it's a syringe of shame. Mm. And so whether we're in tough situations in our family, or if we're just in worship with our hands up in the air, praising God, Satan will just take that syringe and just inject us with shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you say those words, but Satan says, I know who you really are. And so we have to process that to figure out what God says and acknowledge and verbalize what happened. I shared my story at uh, several Better Man sessions and with the porch, and it's been been amazing the number of men that came up and said, I was sexually abused at a young age, Mm -hmm. or me and my friends messed around. Mm-hmm. I've never told a soul. So am I gay? Am I not gay? I don't know. I've never been able to sort that out. Right. But they hadn't even told their wives. They, they thought they were going to take that to the grave. And then they hear about the freedom that somebody's experienced by processing yeah. and walking through it. Um, that also makes them crave the life and the freedom, escaping that shame from yeah. Satan. And uh, we can't show up how God designed us to show up if we're 
enslaved to that shame. And mm-hmm. I was for many years. And so my journey started back in 2005, whenever I went through men's fraternity uh, down in Houston, yeah. ministry by Robert Lewis. And first heard for the first time about a father wound or the importance of our family of origin. I thought all of that stuff was my, my fault. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to just cope. And I got in tons of fights and tons of trouble. And, and it was because I was just running from and rebel. I was angry at the world. And then now Robert Lewis and Barry Davis and some others have created Better Man, what I just mentioned. And I highly recommend Better Man is the next step for you in your journey. Whether you have a crazy childhood or whether you don't, mm-hmm. uh, you can go to betterman.com and find a group local or somewhere else or launch a group. They give you everything that you need. You can do it in your home with a couple dads from your block uh, or find. We offer it here periodically at Watermark. But okay. it's 11 weeks that can change your life. And it's essential. We look at parenting off the map and think the problem is our kids, but man, we've got to start with ourselves. Hmm. And then I think we'll be shocked at the ways that we're contributing to some of these situations. Okay. That is such great advice. Okay, great. And then in the rest of the time together, I'd like to share just a few things that I've learned that Jessica and I have learned about parenting off the map. And the most important piece of parenting off the map isn't, isn't the tactics and solutions of how to solve these challenges, but rather the heart level aspect of the journey. So, There are many internal and external challenges that we face in difficult seasons. And and the first priority in our walk is not to isolate from God. We'll be tempted to, or we'll we'll be tempted to hide things from God. What we have to do is be honest with God. And that means sharing our anger, our frustration, our despair, our exhaustion Mm -hmm. with God. I mean, we see the example of Job and others, David, who just say, God, I don't understand this. Please give me answers. And the reality is God already knows it. And he can handle it. He is the perfect yeah. father. And he, he knows how we're wired and what we're processing. So we've got to be honest with God. And then we need to develop a theology of suffering. And what that means is it helps us answer questions like, where is God? And all of the why questions. Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? Why is this taking so long? Why does it seem like there's no light at the end of the tunnel for us? And there's this question that, that survivors of trauma or, you know, just Various, we, we end up with this question of where was God? Mm-hmm. If he's all good, all knowing, and omnipotent, mm-hmm. he could have changed any of that. But where was God? Yeah. And the answer is he was right there with us. But we've got to process that. And we've got to figure out what that means for the rest of our why questions. And God leads us down that journey. But a theology of suffering is just learning deep down in our souls that God is sovereign, God is good. And God is with us, even if we can't see him, sense him, or feel him, and we can trust him. So I'd recommend a book to to go deeper here, Paul Tripp's book, Suffering, Hmm. Gospel Hope When Life Doesn't Make Sense. We've worn multiple copies of that out and hand them out to to other families who are going through similar seasons of parenting off the map. Great. And I think uh, as sometimes we have this level of thinking that I shouldn't shouldn't have doubts or questions if if I'm being a good Christian. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be a man of faith, and so I shouldn't be asking those questions when, like you said, David asked those questions. Mm. Like, where are you? You know, why are you doing this? Like, it seems like all this, you know, righteous living is pointless. When you look at all the wicked, they seem to be prospering. And I love that that David and, like you said, Job can felt the the freedom to be raw in their emotions. And like you said, God knows that you're feeling these things. Mm-hmm. But I think we don't. We end up stuffing them in a almost in a wrong religious way, like, well, I shouldn't be having those doubts if I really trusted God versus, no, th- that's just what we're all wondering, you know, why Why is that going on? But then what you see so often David do is he'll ask those questions or express his feelings, but then he lands back on truth. Mm. 
but this is what I know. A lot of times he'll say that, um, you know, who God is, the steadfast love of the Lord, whatever it is. And so it's it's a matter of even reminding yourself, like you just said, like, yeah, he's been there the whole time. Like, mm-hmm. he's got a reason for this. And uh, it's okay to ask. Um, there's times when you might figure out why, and there's times when you might not know why. But you got to trust, like you said, that he's good, he's wise, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And and then, you know, my last point on, on this first first one is, you know, it's hard sometimes to connect our quiet time with the chaos of the rest of the day, mm-hmm. right? We can we can do those first two things of be honest with God, abide in Christ, and and really get a robust theology of suffering, like understanding really, you know, what God's given us about how we can trust him and how he's there even when it doesn't feel like it. But then we step out of that time, say in the morning, mm-hmm. and then we enter the chaos of our family wakes up, we deal with the challenges of our family, we deal with the challenges at job, at our jobs. And, and so I found it vital to soak myself in scripture. And mm-hmm. what that looks like for me is, is memorizing sometimes verses or chapters of scripture. Uh, Psalm 46 has been essential, but sometimes in crises, we don't have enough of our brain. Whenever we went into a, a severe time of crisis several years ago with one of our children, uh-huh. I just felt like most of the scripture I memorized was just brain dumped. Hmm. And I only had about half of my brain. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't focus on it because we were just dealing with such a challenging situation and pro- processing so much. Yeah. And so in those times, I found not even verses, but parts of verses. Hmm. Like the beginning of Psalm 46, Lord, you are my refuge and strength. And I would just pray that over and over. Lord, you're my refuge and strength. You're my refuge and strength. Refuge, you are my refuge. And I would just like visualize what that was and, hmm. just, and just take hold of it. You are my strength. And just whatever the verse is that I might have found in the morning or on the weekend, whenever I had a little bit of time, I would cling to that. I would write it down, put it in my pocket. I would have reminders pop up on my phone with those phrases, the Mm. truth of God to remind me of what's true. When glass is being broken or we have to go to the ER or kids getting kicked out of school again and just like all the crazy stuff that can happen. We need to have God's truth in our hands, and sometimes it's not going to be a whole chapter. Sometimes we need two or three words. Yeah. But God meets us there. And so Psalm 46 is awesome. There's so many psalms. But also I cling to John 6, chapter 6, and John chapter 10, where Jesus says, hey, you are in my hands, and, and nobody can take you out of my hands. And more than that, you're in God's hands, mm-hmm. and nobody's stronger than God, so nobody's taking you out of God's hands. And, and I didn't apply it to me as much, but my child, mm-hmm. knowing Everything looks like chaos, and I can see a trajectory that ends in death or something like it. But I knew that they were a believer, and I knew that God had them, that God loved them so much more than I ever could, and that God had them. Hmm. And it's been amazing to see the grace of God just show up. It didn't mean the journey was short or that it was easy, but John 6 and 10 were solace for me. And that was my prayer. That was another phrase prayer of, Lord, I know they're in your hands. Mm -hmm. I trust you. I can't fix this. I can't control this. Help me to be faithful but praise God, they're in your hands. Mm-hmm. I picture that being like anchored in the midst of a crazy storm. Mm. Like you're in a boat that's being tossed out here, but underneath the surface, you're you're fully anchored. Um, like in Hebrews, it talks about this anchor for your soul. Yes. Because we need that. Yeah. Okay, great. Absolutely. And so, you know, the first priority is to, to not isolate from God. And that's yeah. in the negative. I would say pursue God and abide in him. Yeah. And the more crisis pops up, the more we need to, to put our roots deeply uh, in Jesus. We talked about John 15, mm-hmm. 5, and the surrounding verses last time I was here. And, 
And that's, that's so important, especially in crisis season. So the second priority is to walk every journey together as a couple. And this is one of the, the biggest threats of crisis seasons. The stats for kids uh, that go through Im- immense challenges, uh, the stats for the parents that break up are, are really high. Yeah, uh, I think a majority of, of parents whose kids have to go to you know, uh, intense counseling or therapeutic treatment or, or things like that. A majority of the, the parents don't end up staying together long term. So whenever we started this journey, Jessica and I, we just, we determined to trust each other. I mean, this started with adoption, like mm-hmm. instant family, just add kids. Right, like, right, how do we right. do this? You know, and, and uh, there were a lot of challenges. Our kids didn't even know English and, and, and it was such a fun journey, but it, it threatened, the challenge of that season threatened to be a wedge yeah. uh, between Jessica and I. So we determined to trust each other. We decided that that we're not the enemy, and we reminded each other of that. Even when we're mad at each other, resentful, it always feels like we're carrying a majority of the load, and why aren't you? Yep. And then just being committed to being honest about the pain and the struggle. You know, admit that it's hard. We don't want to put on a Pollyanna face Mm -hmm. and pretend like everything's easy. And then it was vital to know each other deeply. And one of the ways that's so important is to, to rely on each other's strengths. There's certain situations where I need to be the one to step up and to share truth um, there's certain situations where Jessica has those superpowers and I need to create an opportunity for her to use her superpowers and me to be in the support role. Mm-hmm. And so we need to know each other's strengths to know when, if I step up and, and, and share something, then I'm going to prevent an opportunity for her to use her strengths. And, and it's also going to create conflict between us and some resentment. And, uh, and so, you know, we also need to know when to step in to challenging situations. If I'm in the room, if I'm in a, a, a different room, but I can hear something spinning up with Jessica in the uh-huh. other room, there's times to let her use her superpowers to deal with that situation. She just intuitively knows so many things that I have no idea. She, she understands so much more about what's going on in our kids' heads. But there's times when I need to reject passivity and then step up, maybe not say anything, but be supportive, and then sometimes step in and take over really mm-hmm. challenging, challenging situations so Jessica can go to another room and take a breath. So we're a team, and... Also, as we think about the first point, pursuing the Lord, we also need, we, we affirmed, hey, I know you're running after the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, our quiet times look way different. They're done at different times of the day. And especially in crisis seasons, it's like, it's guerrilla warfare to time, find times with the Lord, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, but we had to trust that I know your motives are coming from the same place that we affirm is important, even if I don't see you opening your Bible or, or things like that. And to, to trust trust each other despite the the frustration, the lack of direction that we feel, or one of the most challenging things about these situations is it feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And we can envision the worst situations, how 10 years down the road, we're going to be getting the kid out of jail. They're not going to be moved out of the house and uh, all these things. Yeah. But we just have to trust one another, even when it can feel overwhelming because we don't have the answers and it seems like it's never going to end. And then you know this ties into all of this, but just a commitment to stay aligned no matter what. Yeah. And I think what I've seen in my life, and whether it's when with our own kids, because I think a lot of times we think that's only crazy other situations of kids that have been either adopted or other stuff, but with, you know, biological kids also, that there have been times where I just didn't know what to do. Mm. But what I found is even looking at Katie, I have to show grace and think I've never known Katie as a woman going through this right now, mm. like she's experiencing this for the first time, having whether it's a rebellious teenager or a foster kid that's freaking out or whatever it is, like I've got to recognize, like, what am I expecting of her? Like, she's never been through this before. She's never been a mom at this stage of her mm. life. 
with a kid at this stage in their life. And so she's learning for the first time yeah. too. And they're all, you know, your kids are all different as well. So showing grace of, uh, I mean, towards them and um, that, yeah, we're, we're, we've got to fight for unity because I know that that's another area where Satan loves to divide and get you, you know, looking at her weaknesses, like, well, if she would just do this differently or do, you know, whatever, and then you're both at each other and mm-hmm. rather than being unified, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I might mention it a little bit later, but also to process what does headship of our family look like mm-hmm. if our wife has most of the answers and we don't. Mm-hmm. So I've seen men overcompensate and they're like, I know you have an opinion and I trust you, but we're doing it my way because I'm the one that's in charge and I need to be leading in this situation. Yeah. And it does a lot of damage. Sure. Or we can feel emasculated and then revert back into passivity. And yeah. that's not how God's designed us, but we can lead strongly together still have male headship, which God sets up. We're responsible. That basically means we're the ones that are responsible for our family. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we've got to make all the decisions. And, and in ours, we, we learned this trauma-based parenting you know, uh, strategy, and we called it grace-based parenting. We didn't realize it was because of trauma, but mm-hmm. Jessica was the one that led the way. And I'm talking about you know, 12, 13 years ago, and we decided to go a totally different way of parenting than how we were raised. And it was because of her insight and her intuition and her following the spirit as the spirit letter. And I felt passive a lot. Mm. So I didn't have the answers that she had, yeah. but I learned so much through it. And I think having that humility, but also not withdrawing and uh, and processing how we can still be the leader of the home and also entrust our wife with some of the most important roles is, is vital. Yep. And there's so many times when I know Katie will say things like, well, here's what I've been thinking about for the kids. And she's been thinking way more than I have. Mm-hmm. about some of these things and praying way more. But then again, now we're back around to pride where I want to act like I've been thinking as much as she has, and I haven't. And yeah. so I need to be humble enough to listen. Like she's got some insight here that she sees them in different ways and settings than I do. And mm-hmm. I need to listen to what she's, you know, what what she's observing. That's right. And there's nothing like a mother's intuition. Yeah. Um, even if I'm playing lead in this scenario, I still want to get time with Jessica before to to ask her, hey, what all do you see going on? Because I need that insight even as I interact with our kids. Yeah, I'm shocked at the things that I that I don't see. Hmm. So a, a third and final priority is to recognize the unhealthy expectations placed on us by others, and those ex- expectations can be said and unsaid expectations. And you know that that can sound like people saying, parents saying, friends saying, hey, that's not the right way to bring up a child. Mm-hmm. When you did that, you got your butt whipped. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't even look like they're getting a consequence because they don't have a vision for the parenting strategy. There's an intentional strategy. Yeah. It just looks different yeah. than other people have seen. And and people will say stuff like, hey, traditional education is the only acceptable option. Mm-hmm. Like your kid needs to stay in private school, public school, whatever, but stay in that 12 years and then graduate. And, and of course, kids should immediately go to college after high school, Right. right? And uh, just to realize those are expectations that are going to be put on us. But when we're parenting on the map, that's not the most important thing. Mm -hmm. We're trying to sometimes save our kids' life. Sometimes we're trying to preserve their faith and help them make good decisions. It doesn't matter if they have a high high school diploma if, you know, all these other things aren't in place. And so, and education is important. But we have to recognize those expectations and detach from them. A little bit. And here's another one. Good parents will never have to remove their child from the home for a season. Mm. I mean, that is, and a lot of times these can be unspoken. Nobody's even saying them, but we hear that voice in our head. We know if we talk to so-and-so, they would say this. And Jessica and I decided early that we would make the best decisions for our family and not worry about what others thought, Uh, whether it was extended family, our church, our community. We knew that we weren't worried about image control. Most others had no idea about the depths of struggles and challenges that we were facing 
and nor were they in a position to have valid opinions about financial, educational, therapeutic, and medical decisions. Yeah. But I'm not saying to isolate. We didn't isolate. We just determined who would be in our circle of trust. Hmm. And so, you know, we depended deeply on this circle of trust, and that included our community group here, here at Watermark, our, a few of our parents and siblings, and a few close friends. And we depended on them deeply to provide encouragement and strength in the darkness moments. And that's Galatians 6, too, you know, bear one another burden mm-hmm. and he'll fulfill the law of Christ. They reminded us of what's true, and they also cried with us. Yeah. You know, and Romans twelve fifteen says, weep with those who weep. And yeah. sometimes that's all, that's what we needed to do in that moment. Yep. And I think a lot of that, what you're talking about, <clears throat> Mickey, is getting over the fear of man, mm-hmm. of what other people are going to think. Because there's certain people that, that you're talking about that you let into that circle of decision-making and prayer. But then there's other people that don't, and all they see from the outside is the final decision you've made. Mm. And they might not agree with it, but they might not understand it. Like you said, like they're like, well, you're supposed to you know, stay in this school or go to college or do what. And, and you've, you just don't have time even to explain it all to them. Yeah. And, but I think sometimes some of us are more afraid of what they're going to you know, say. And so either we want to not let them know what we're doing or try to explain everything. And it's like, that's, you don't have to worry about that. Like if this is really what you've prayed about and you've sought wisdom about, like this is what you, know, what you need to do. We've had hmm. three of our kids um, have actually taken a gap year and done different things and it all looked different. One of them was our son who was just, college was not where he needed to be at that time. He was floundering and failing and going through, you know, a lot of struggles. And it came down to this. And again, by then he was like 20 years old, but it was like, either you need to move out and you are fully on your own. Mm. And I never thought I'd say those words, or we will send you to this school, this Bible school in Montana that we think would be great for you. Cause it's away from us. Cause I think that's going to be good right now, but it's out in God's creation. And you always seem to thrive in nature but it's Bible training and it's in community. And, um, but those are your two options right now. Mm. And again, that was never any in my, on my playbook or my plan when my kids were younger. Like one day you're going to have to give your kid an ultimatum, move out with no support or move away, which sounded, you know, like neither of those sounded, you know, really fun, but it was where we had prayed about it and really felt like it was and and now my son would say that was so Mm. good for him and so healthy for him. Didn't like it at first, yeah. But um, and that's not what everyone should do. But that was where we had decided that we're going to do this, and um, everything had led up to this, and we had to make that hard decision. And not everyone understood, yeah. Um, but we had to be okay with that. Yeah, and that's where the community comes in, mm-hmm. uh, and is so helpful because you know we just started with, um, and we had to make some decisions quickly over weekends and stuff, and, mm-hmm. and they were big decisions. And just starting with one crying together, you know, yeah. sharing what's going on, crying together. And then telling what we're thinking and, you know, where we're at after Jessica and I processing and then just saying, hey, are we crazy? Are we crazy? Yeah. And uh, second, just saying, you know, just what are we missing? And we'd open up God's word and affirm what's true and help us see things that we weren't seeing. But, you know, in the weeks and months that follow, come back and are still at that question like, man, are are we crazy? Mm -hmm. And having the affirmation of a spouse who's pursuing the Lord, who acknowledges we're not crazy and also community that knows us and our family so deeply to say, you're not crazy. It's like, okay, Lord, thank you for that provision. I trust you. We're not crazy. We're on your path. Yeah. Continue to lead us. That's so good. And so, you know, I I described, you know, some of the later stages of our journey, but it it started whenever our kids were really young, where we realized that we were off the map on parenting. And Mm -hmm. and basically for us, what that meant is that the ways that we were growing up, we grew up in, in great houses. Discipline was king. Relationship was strong. 
but those tactics didn't work mm-hmm. with our kids, and, and there are reasons why. But we were gonna, we were gonna lead them to to much more difficulty if we if we kept the same patterns that we had grown up with. And yeah. so, you know, we started doing things like certain children just didn't need to be spanked, and there's reasons for that. Mm-hmm. But we sought creative consequences for them. You know, they went through the stages where they lied like ten times an hour, and you know, and yeah. and, and it, it just seems like it's it's just growing exponentially. And so we had to give consequences, but spanking wasn't the answer. So we had to find creative consequences. They were different for each kid, but it, it really helped them to understand. You know, you can make your decisions, but you can't make the, you can't choose the consequences. Yeah, it, it's important for us to find those consequences where it it meets the needs of the child, but it doesn't force them. Because what can happen is if we spank certain children, they just see red and it, it can make them move to a place that isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. And then they start to view us as something other than a loving father mm-hmm. who's there for them and supporting them. We can say, well, this, and my parents used to say this to me, this hurts me more yeah, than right. it hurts you. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> let's, yeah. Trade pa- let's trade places then. Yeah. But, um, but I do think being off the map causes us just the need to embrace. But, but what happens is sometimes our, our kids will break a house rule and, and we have a verbal warning or it's, it's part of a, a, a larger set of consequences we're trying to do or just re- redirection, not necessarily consequences, but walking with them. And, and that's where people can sit there and say, why are you letting your kid get away with this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's, it's, it's part of the plan and the plan's working. Uh, let us shepherd our children and we won't interject in how you raise your kids. Yep. But being off the map raises a lot of eyebrows because creative consequences and just grace-based parenting looks different mm-hmm. than how a lot of us were raised. Yep, and I think, too, what I've experienced is some of the older kids not even understanding, at least for us with our adopted kids, mm. that the consequences don't look the same even then. And I want to be consistent, and I want to be lazy <clears throat> as the kids get older, but it is true that what, what worked with you, mm-hmm. older kids, or what we did with you, doesn't work with them or because of their you know background or trauma or whatever we're going to do something different and so like you said they're not getting away with it we're addressing it but it's not going to be the same thing because it just doesn't work the same way that's right that's right and i'll share one more aspect i'm not prescribing any of this for anybody just describing the the change that i had and uh, and then i want to share a little bit about my journey because that's an internal journey as we did this because that's what i i think is important but you know another one is we learned only draw lines in the sand when absolutely necessary. Like I want to sit there and say, well, hey, if you smack, if you, you know, whatever, whatever it is at the table, or, or if you don't have manners doing this, if you don't say yes sir or no sir, if you talk disrespectfully, talk back, if you go tear up your room in a tantrum, like mm-hmm. whatever on the spectrum kids are doing, I want to say, well, if you do that again, then this, you mm-hmm. know, and just draw a line in the sand and have a hard consequence because, of course, I think that's going to stop the behavior. But we realized really quickly we need to preserve those lines for the things that only matter and then clearly communicate those lines and let them know what the consequence would be whenever they, uh, whenever they cross them. But, but this gets into that internal journey and, and some changes that I, had to, that I had to realize and make. The first one is I had to learn not to trust my immediate reaction. Um, I often wanted to discipline early and often. I want to lecture. Uh-huh. I want to hold our kids accountable for every mistake, large and small. Because, of course, I think that's how I was raised. <clears throat> you know, yeah. yeah. As, as, if, as if that was effective with me uh-huh. <laughs> all through the years. Right. But I realized really quickly that I'm, I'm so glad that God doesn't treat me that way, yeah. even now, especially now. Yeah. And that with maturity, we learn more deeply what it means to parent with grace and truth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just all about truth, follow the rules or the rules have consequences, but grace yeah. as well. And I've learned so much about my, about God's relationship with me as I'm a parent and, re, and, and learn things through my relationship with my kids. Yeah. And it makes me so grateful 
for his grace, for his patience. Every breath is the grace of God. Yeah. And uh, he has been so patient with me and continues to be so. And so why should I not be extremely patient and graceful? Now, that doesn't mean I'm a doormat, mm-hmm. but it changes the aroma that I bring into our home yep. as we evaluate seasons parenting off the map. Because I think so many times <clears throat> I'm tempted to say, how many times have we talked about this, you know? <laughs> But just so grateful that the God God doesn't do that with me because he could. I mean, it is like, man, here I am again struggling with the same sin or doing the same thing over and over, over and over again. But he doesn't. And so, I mean, he does take sin seriously. But I think what you said is so true that it's trying to treat, treat our kids the way God treats us, mm. which um, especially with discipline um, at that moment, there's such a big gap between what I feel like doing and saying versus what I should do and what they need. Um, and so that's, that's always going to be a challenge. But again, you're back dependent on the Lord for, you know, for your strength. And like you said, there's that internal struggle that you're going to always have. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah. I'm kind of going out on a limb no, here. No, you but. are not. You are not. <laughs> but yeah, the first one is not to trust my immediate reaction. And it took me a long time. And I still struggle with that. Yeah. You know, like, what do I do with this anger inside of me? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes anger has a good purpose. If, if, we, if we're angry and do not sin, like mm-hmm. you said, but, man, what does that look like? And I process that with my wife. And that, that leads to the second. You know, I learned that my wife, Jessica, usually understood far more about what was going on inside of our kids than I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 and that wasn't what I wanted to hear right. or learn. Yeah. Uh, but because of this, and I described this a little bit, but because of this, Jessica would have a better handle on what was going on inside of our kids. Mm-hmm. And if we don't understand what's going on inside of our kids, not that we can know it perfectly, but just that mother's intuition. Yeah. Um, helps us tremendously, and I needed to swallow my pride uh, again and again and uh, ask her what she thought was going on, and I provide my opinion too, but I trust her sometimes almost more than I trust myself specifically with what's going on in the heart of our kids. Mm. And then third, I learned that even though I depend deeply on Jessica's wisdom and intuition, I still had to stay engaged and look for ways to assist her and support her during times that she took the lead. And mm-hmm. I talked about this before a little bit, but it's it's about staying present even if we're not the main actor on the mm-hmm. scene. And, uh, and it looked like sometimes if she was in the room dealing with a crazy situation and it wasn't my time to go in there, mm-hmm. to stay there and pray, mm-hmm. just to be praying for, for Jessica, for wisdom, for patience, for endurance, and then for our kids, yeah. for their sweet little hearts to be able to hear and understand what we're trying to share with them. And that can happen even in the moment. If I'm standing right there beside Jessica and it's not my turn to talk, then I'll be praying. And, and I know whenever I'm talking to our kids that a lot of the time Jessica's going to be praying. Yeah. And so uh, that, those are ways that we're even more active than we would be is if we were the ones. Because we know God changes hearts. Yeah. He's the mover. He's the one guiding all of this. And then finally, the, you know, I learned the, the importance of making every decision together as a couple and then just holding firmly with confidence to what we've decided until the Spirit shows us that we need to go a different direction. But I think the process that we go through in making decisions, which includes community, includes the Word, um, includes just getting into neutral and, Lord, truly show us the direction to go. If we follow that process faithfully, then we will have the confidence that even if it gets really tough or blows up in our faces, mm-hmm. hey, God, you led, this to it, led us to this, and we know that you're going to lead us through it. And so we just have to keep our eyes on you. And it takes time and commitment. You know, it, it, it takes an intention to listen well to each other mm. and to express our thoughts well, communicate clearly in the midst of some crazy seasons. And it takes trust because 
sometimes as we have to take a step of faith, uh, we have to trust that the other person really might be seeing something that we don't. Mm -hmm. And even if we don't see it, we have to trust our partner and know there's a lot of wisdom and leading of the spirit and, uh, and we can trust them. And so this results in unity, which is a essential and, and we're wrapping up here, but um, here's some important things about unity. So parenting off the map, we focus on our kids, we focus on the problems, we focus on solutions, but the most important thing to focus on is our unity. I mean, mm -hmm. after abiding with Christ, the most important thing, and this is really the only thing that we have control of, mm -hmm. ultimately, uh, because the truth is, whatever happens with, with our kids, mm -hmm. whether they trust God and trust us and experience uh, the full life that is available to them, or if they drive their life off a cliff and they suffer many painful consequences, we know that ultimately that is out of our control. It really is. Yeah. All we can do is be faithful and do our best to love and shepherd them. And so we got to know what we have control over and what we don't yeah. and, and trust the Lord with what we don't. And whatever happens with our kids, we know that the most important thing is that our marriage survives. Mm -hmm. And uh, our marriage can even deepen in spite of all these challenges of parenting off the map. And, uh, and it's going to feel uncomfortable, exhausting, and raging, never-ending, but we're not alone. We know that the, the first thing our kids need to see from us is a stable, strong, and loving mother and father who are living out what we've asked them mm -hmm. to do and be. And uh, the most important ingredient to kids that survive challenging situations is a mother and father that, that loves them and knows them and that they can trust. Mm -hmm. And if that trust is there, if that love is there, it may not look like it. They may be in total rebellion, but that respect is still there. If they see lives lived in authenticity, in humility, and parents that are unified and simply just taking faithful steps to walk with their child, that speaks volumes. And, and, and they think about that when they're laying in bed or when yeah. they're suffering you know, natural consequences for their decisions. So that's what we have control of. And uh, the most important thing we should be focusing on is unity. Yep. And I think <clears throat> so many of us want to just, it's the nature in a lot of us men to want to fix it. Mm. We, we, we want to have, well, what, here's the solution. Just give me these three things and it'll, it'll end. This craziness will end. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes it won't. Like we're, you know, having ongoing still, like this is going to be a challenge. I think maybe could be always. And I think we've got to realize that a lot of times why we can get frustrated is because we feel like we're not, it's, there's no closure. Like, it's not yeah. ending. I'm still dealing with the same thing. And it, you have to realize, well, it, that actually might be what they're always going to struggle with. Like, it's always going to be, you know, this issue, whether it's a deliberate sin of, you know, are they telling the truth? Like, can I really believe they're telling the truth? Or mm -hmm. just them going crazy or temper, you know, issues or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where I, I need to battle that expectation that if I just find the right thing or just, you know, do these things, these steps, then we'll have closure. God has asked us to be faithful and to trust him with, you know, with the outcome. What would you say? Here's one other thing that I'll just bring up and um, maybe we have time to talk about. But what I found in my life is when I've ha I have one challenging child in particular that takes all of my, my energy and focus mm -hmm. and Katie and I's relationship seems to focus on that. The other kids can feel neglected or I, I realize, man, I'm just not. And some of them might be like, okay, I'm just trying to stay under the radar because mm -hmm. I don't want to be, you know, the one causing strife or whatever. But um, have you found the importance of either talking to those kids about, hey, listen, I know this is tough, but I just want to make sure you know I love you or making intentional time for them or 
What have you have you have you seen much of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the most important <clears throat> things for us to focus on as as we're um, you know, dealing with crisis situations, especially. Uh-huh. You know, it takes up most of our discussions. Yeah. You know, as a family at the kitchen table, and then when you know we're together with our spouse, we're going to be talking about the the challenges that we need to solve, yeah. or you know, the the one child who's walking through the most significant things. And yeah, what happens is the rest of the kids. One, they're affected by the chaos in the home. Yep. And two, they have to deal with it alone because we're so focused on the immediate challenge. And so that's something that we've learned as we've walked through our, our seasons. And uh, that's one of the challenges that we see in so many homes is that that child that they're experiencing their own trauma mm-hmm. by seeing the chaos in the home right. or seeing so-and-so be brought home by the police again or like whatever it is. Um, the other kids have their own experiences and it is so essential to have conversations with them about that. Hey, yeah. do, you, do you know what's going on? Yeah. Do, do you know why this happened to your sibling? Um, do you have any questions about that? Yeah. And even yeah. guiding them through forgiving their sibling. Because sometimes true. they're acting out as against them, <clears throat> whether it's hitting or being stolen from or their own property being you know damaged or whatever, or even just a general resentment towards you're creating the chaos in our home. Like mm-hmm. you're the, you're the, I mean, they having this sense of like, if you weren't here, and so they, you know, either can be resentful or angry at them, or they can detach or even know what buttons to push in that sibling that you've got to deal with their own little hearts and guiding them through that as well. That's exactly right. And and there's a lot of things that can happen in a kid's heart whenever there's, you know, an explosive child who's, yep. who's running the home. And the explosive child can be the youngest child. You mm-hmm. know, it doesn't always have to be the older teenager right. sibling. Uh, and so kids, kids learn to withdraw. They, they have their own coping mechanisms, and, and, and there will be more things to deal with down the road, both for them and, and for the parents. And, and that's where we found the importance of, like, uh, daddy-daughter dates or, mm-hmm. or mommy-son dates or, yep. you know, just getting one-on-one time, sitting there at Chick-fil-A, drinking a, drinking a malt, which I never let them get, or <laughs> a milkshake. Yeah. And, but just talking about life and just seeing what bubbles up. And it's crazy the things that bubble up, and it's really hard to make time for that because if, if I get – some time in a crisis season, I want to spend it on myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go for a run. I want to do something fun. Um, but sometimes the most important thing I need to do is spend intentional time with our other children. Yeah. That's a really good point. Something I wish I did more of with my kids, but I know with when, when one of my kids was <clears throat> really, really struggling and it was a it was a big challenge in our family, we had kind of a little family meeting where we prayed for him. Mm. And just it brought out a tenderness and a side of compassion in my kids that I hadn't seen before. And I wish that I had done more of that before then, mm-hmm. where I felt kind of the end of the rope and like, okay, we need to have a family meeting. But then when we decided to pray, to hear their, from their tender little hearts on their, really their hurting for, you know, their own sibling. And it was, <clears throat> it was a good unifying thing for all of us then to, to, to not feel like they're the enemy, but like we love them and we are praying for them to, you know, come back to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And bringing them in on that journey. Now yeah. they have an active role to help their sibling, which they love dearly. Mm-hmm. And praying is the main, main role that they and we have in really bringing about change. Yeah. That's great. Well, Mickey, thanks for sharing all this. This is um, so relevant and so helpful. And um, I, I know that I think one thing I love about you, two, two things is your humility, but I love that so much of what you've shared both times has just been saturated in God's word. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, again, another part of humility that it's, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but God does. And um, I'm crying out for wisdom. So that's what we pray for you dads too that are listening. Um, obviously, all, as always, we want you to passionately love Jesus, that you own that role of disciple maker, that you create a word-centered home. 
and that you are the one who's initiating the conversation. We love you guys. We're praying for you. We're relying on God's grace. We'll see you in the future. Thanks. Thanks.